I were to ask you, is there something for which you crave? That you just, I say that word crave and, and something comes to mind. I grew up in southern Ontario, most of you know that. In, uh, that's where the restaurant Swiss LA was founded. It's where 80% of them exist. I just found out actually this week that the last Swiss LA in BC closed or is closing this month. And maybe that doesn't mean much to you, but, but I grew up in Ontario where this was founded, and we didn't go out a lot, but when we went out, our family would, would go to Swiss LA with some frequency. It was where our extended family went every New Year's Day, as long as I can remember. We'd go bowling in Swiss LA, and, and I love chalet sauce. Anyone? I love chalet sauce. I, I mean, I dip everything, chicken, bun, fries. I, I love chalet sauce. Well, when I finished high school, I moved to BC, and at that time, there were, to my chagrin, no Swiss LA's in BC. And, and some of you may not know this, I, I went there to Bible college, I didn't go home to Ontario for four years, I didn't go back till I finished my degree. So I had not been there, I had not had chalet sauce in years and years, until my final year, two of my friends, one of them from the Ottawa area, they discovered that they had opened a Swiss chalet in Surrey, BC on King George Highway. And so to surprise me on my birthday, uh, my friend Lori and Rita uh, took me to Swiss Chalet. They also gave me a t-shirt with their faces on it. Uh, Dennis loves Lori and Rita. They made me wear it, but I didn't care. Like I was going to Swiss Chalet. And I walked in there with them, and I think I went through over five chalet sauces with one quarter chicken dinner. I love that stuff. And I hadn't had it in years, and I craved it. I craved it, and I loved it, and I got it, and I was, I, was sat, I was so full. I was satisfied after that meal. This morning, we are looking at the fourth beatitude in the Sermon on the Mount with which Jesus begins this sermon. And in this beatitude, Jesus speaks about hungering. He speaks about thirsting. He's going to speak about a desperate craving that arises within us when the gospel takes root in our lives. A desperate craving for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount as a whole is a picture of what life looks like when we believe the gospel, we hear and believe the gospel, and the gospel takes root in our lives. When Jesus takes a hold of our heart, when the Holy Spirit is having his way in us, our lives are transformed to look like this. Our lives are radically changed. In this sermon, we encounter the ethics of the inbreaking kingdom. We cannot produce this life by our own striving, by our own efforts, by our own strength. This is produced by the good news. This is produced by what God is doing, has done through Jesus. We hear the good news, we repent and believe, and the gospel takes root and our lives are changed. And if we lose that, if we forget that, this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, will become frustrating idealism or oppressive legalism, something that we can never live up to or something that will absolutely crush us. We need to remember that this is produced by the gospel in us. The Beatitudes with which the sermon begins provide us with a picture of Christian character. These characteristics, these qualities are produced in our lives by the gospel at work in our lives. 
They are not natural human qualities. Jesus did not go around Palestine looking for beatitude people. Jesus went announcing the good news, and as people heard the good news, repented, and believed, their lives began to produce these qualities. They became beatitude people. These are not natural human qualities. Remember also that the eight Beatitudes do not describe eight different kinds of Christians, that one is poor in spirit, that another is mourning, that another is meek, that that some others hunger and thirst for righteousness. No, Jesus with these uh, characteristics is describing what is true of every believer as they are gospelized, as the gospel takes root. These eight qualities are interrelated and inseparable. They belong together in the life of every gospelized person. Just as these qualities belong together, so too the blessings announced in the Beatitudes. They are all aspects of what it means to receive the kingdom of heaven. The first Beatitude, the last Beatitude, sandwich the rest with that promise. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The other six promises are aspects of what it means to receive the kingdom. To to receive the kingdom, to enter into God's kingdom means to be comforted, to inherit the earth, to experience satisfaction, fulfillment, to receive mercy, to see God, to be called the children of God. And though all these Beatitudes go together, their order is significant. The first one is the essential beginning point. Blessed are, it sets the tone, it gets us faced in the right direction. We miss this and the sermon will get horribly twisted. The first Beatitude, of course, is blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize their utter spiritual bankruptcy, that they come to God with empty hands, empty pockets. They cannot make themselves right with God. They cannot fix what is broken, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And and that Beatitude leads naturally to the second. Blessed are those who mourn. That is, we first come to God recognizing that we have nothing, and then we begin to mourn. We begin to, to grieve over our sin, the darkness of our own hearts. We recognize the ugliness of our sin. And not only our own, but the sin and the brokenness, the darkness of the world all around us. And we are those who mourn. And that leads to the third beatitude we looked at last week, blessed are the meek. When we realize that we come empty-handed, when we're mourning over our sin and the sin around us, there is no room for pride. And so we are God's gentle, humble, considerate people who care for the interests of others. We can take our spot at the end of the line. We don't have to defend ourselves. We can allow others to say what is true about us. We can even allow others to say what is not true about us because we are loved by God. Our security is in Him. We entrust ourselves to Him. And so we live humbly, gently, putting the interests of others ahead of our own. It's okay to take our spot at the end of the line because we are beloved by God and secure in Him. That leads us today to the fourth beatitude that follows naturally after the first three. Jesus sat down and began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And then the fourth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I want to begin this morning by considering what Jesus is not saying. What He does not say. Jesus does not say... Blessed are those who are righteous. 
He doesn't say that. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus does not say, blessed are those who feel righteous. The Pharisees of Jesus' day were those who felt righteous. They were diligent in rule following, and, and others looked at them and thought that they were the righteous ones. The, the, the Pharisees themselves felt that they were righteous. But listen, Jesus will soon say these words in his sermon. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus does not bless those who feel righteous. Jesus also does not say, blessed are those who are progressing in righteousness, though he could say that in certain contexts, but it's not what he says here. Likewise, Jesus does not say, Blessed are those who are declared righteous, though that is certainly something that is true in light of the cross. We are blessed through the cross. We are blessed those who, through faith in Christ, are declared righteous. But that is not what Jesus says here. Jesus does not say any of those things. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who recognize their lack of righteousness and yet desperately long for it. Remember, none of these qualities are natural human qualities. We cannot produce these qualities by our own power, by our own striving. They are produced in us when the gospel takes root, when the Spirit is having His way in us. They are produced within us. First, poverty of spirit that, that leads to mourning, and mourning that leads to meekness, and meekness that leads to this place where we hunger and thirst for righteousness. The ones who are blessed are those who know that they are not righteous. They, they know that things are not right, but they crave righteousness. They are blessed. They are happy. They are fortunate. They are the ones that Jesus congratulates. They are in sync with the kingdom of heaven. They are, according to Jesus, the lucky bums. Jesus announced those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they are the blessed ones. In this beatitude, we are confronted with the good news Announced by Jesus. Remember, Jesus came calling people to repentance and to believe the good news. That in his coming, a whole new world order was breaking in. That in his coming, God was doing a new thing. God was bringing new life. God was pouring out his grace and mercy. He was restoring what was broken. Men and women who would be made new, who would re reflect his character in the midst of a broken and sin-stained world. We need to hear this. This is not about making ourselves righteous. Jesus does not say, be righteous and then you'll be blessed. He does not say that. Christianity is not a self-centered, self-reliant, self-improvement project. Do more. Try harder. That's what the Pharisees were trying to do. That's what religious people have tried to do ever since then. Do more, try harder, follow the rules, make yourself righteous. That's not what Christianity is about. That's not upon whom Jesus pronounces blessing. You know, those who are blessed are those who, lacking righteousness, are desperately longing for it. I want you to notice what else Jesus does not say. Jesus does not say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for blessedness. 
He doesn't say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for happiness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for fullness, for satisfaction. Jesus does not say that. Yet, that is precisely what most people in our world are doing. That is what we are constantly tempted to pursue. That we would pursue happiness, that we would pursue satisfaction, that we would hunger and thirst after those things. As human beings, we want satisfaction. We all long for that. And many, many people pursue that. But according to Jesus, that here's the problem with that. If others or if we hunger and thirst for something other than righteousness, we, we're pursuing something other than righteousness, we will not experience the blessedness that he promises here to those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. The temptation, the pervasive practice is looking for satisfaction, looking for fulfillment, looking for blessedness in lesser things, in created things. And so we turn, sometimes, sometimes we turn literally to food or to drink, thinking that they will satisfy us, that in them we will experience fullness. Sometimes we look to relationships, to, to family, to friends, to a romantic partner, thinking that if we just have these relationships, then that will satisfy us and, and fill us. Sometimes we turn to money and wealth and other pleasures, thinking that if we get those things, that will satisfy me. You name it, people turn to lesser things, created things, looking for blessedness but they will not find it there. We will not find it there. Even in good things, good things created by God as gifts for us, things to be enjoyed and appreciated in their rightful God-honoring context, but they will not satisfy us. They are gifts from the giver. They are signposts pointing us beyond themselves. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes this, according to the Scriptures, happiness, happiness is never something that should be sought directly. It is always something that results from seeking something else. Where will they find blessedness? Where will we find blessedness? Jesus says the only way to blessedness is through hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Again, Lloyd-Jones says, whenever you put happiness before righteousness, you will be doomed to misery. Put happiness in the place of righteousness and you will never get it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That brings us to the second thing I wanted to do, and, and that is to reflect on what does Jesus mean when he says, uh, uses this word righteousness. How are we to understand this term? If you or I were to go out on the street, or, or maybe because it's cold, uh, out to the mall and ask people, uh, what, how would you define righteousness? How, how, would, how do you think people would respond? How, how would we respond? Would our responses be different? Many people would respond, they, they would simply think that righteousness is, uh, they would think of it in terms of morality. That righteousness is uh, doing certain things and not doing certain other things. It's a code of ethics. It's a, a set of principles. It's a standard by which that we are to abide. Comply with it. Check the boxes. You get your gold stars. You are righteous. But is that correct? Is that the biblical way to understand what righteousness is? Others might think about righteousness in 
legal in the, in the legal sense. For example, the Apostle Paul, we, we encounter this word righteousness used in Scripture in this legal sense. Paul uses it 33 times in the book of Romans. Uh, in chapter 3, we, we read, he says, There is no one righteous and no one with right standing before God, not even one. A little bit later in the same chapter, Paul says, No one will be declared righteous, that is, speaking of their standing before God, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of law. A little later, he says, he speaks of righteousness that is received as a gift through faith in Christ. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. As Paul's using the term there, it's clearly not speaking of, in terms of morality, some set of ethics. It's speaking about our standing before God. Uh, we encounter righteousness used in that way in Scripture. Is that what Jesus is saying? To be sure, there is. There can be both a moral sense and a legal sense of this word, aspects of this word righteousness. But Jesus is not getting at either of those here in the fourth beatitude. There is something more going on, something deeper. Jesus here uses this word in a manner that stands in, in continuity with the use of this term throughout the Old Testament. One Old Testament scholar puts it this way, righteousness is the content of God's will. In other words, Righteousness is what God wants. Righteousness is God's desire. That's what, what righteousness is. So, so we ask the question, what does God want? What does God desire? What is His will? And the answer, biblically, is He wants shalom. He, he wants peace. Shalom is, it means peace, but it's, not, it's, it's more than we think just quiet and tranquility. Peace is all things right, everything the way it's meant to be. We see shalom in the opening chapters of the Old Testament, Genesis 1 and 2, the creation of, of mankind, Adam and Eve. They, they are living in perfect relational harmony with the created world, with one another, and with their creator, with God. There is shalom, there is harmony, there is peace. In other words, righteousness has to do with relationships, with right relatedness, things being the way they're supposed to be in relationships. It's not simply following rules. It's not simply some moral code. It is profound relational harmony. God's desire was complete relational harmony. But we know that things did not remain that way in that state for long because of humanity's rebellion, sin entered the world. And that harmony that God had created, the harmony, the, the shalom that God desired, His will was, was broken. It was dashed to pieces. Because of humanity's sin, our relationship with God was shattered. Because of humanity's sin and rebellion, our relationships horizontally have been marred. Because of our sin and rebellion, even our relationship with God's creation is messed up. Righteousness is not merely about living up to uh, an ethic, to certain uh, legal principles, some moral code. It's about relationships being what God created them to be. Think about this. Even the Old Testament, even the, the, the Ten Commandments. If I were to ask you, how do they begin? Most of us would say, well, with the commandment that you shall have no other gods before me. But that's not where they begin. They begin a verse earlier where God says to his people, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. 
See, relationship precedes law. Relationship precedes ethics. It's, it's about God is saying, because I am your God, and because you are my people, because you are in relationship with me, here is how you live in that relationship rightly. Righteousness has to do with right relatedness with relationships. It's what God desired in the beginning, and it remains his desire now. Christ came into the world for the sake of righteousness. It was his mission to bring it, to restore what was broken. The right relatedness of, create, his, of humanity with the created order, to bring right relatedness amongst humanity, and, and to bring right relatedness between us, rebellious, sinful, fallen, broken women and men, young and old, and him, our creator, God the Father. Jesus came to set all things right, to, store, to restore what was lost through sin, to restore what was ruined through our rebellion, to bring about perfect righteousness. Righteousness is not merely some list of do's and don'ts. It is about right relatedness. That brings us thirdly to what Jesus is saying in this fourth beatitude. Remember, the beatitudes are not natural human qualities. These are not qualities that we produce by our own striving, by our own effort. Jesus is saying that when the good news, when the gospel takes root in our hearts, when his spirit fills us and has his way in us, we are transformed. We are gospelized. We become beatitude people. First poor in spirit, those who mourn over sin, those who are meek. And then we begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We begin to hunger and thirst for that which God hungers and thirsts for. We begin to hunger and thirst for the right relatedness of all things. When we are saved, when we are rescued, when we are, are redeemed and gospelized, we begin and, to hunger and thirst not for our justification, that has already happened in Christ. When the gospel takes root, that's happening. But we, we begin to hunger and thirst for sanctification, that we would live in a way that is congruent with who we are, that we would live rightly in relationship with the God who loves us, that we would live in fellowship, in harmony with God, our Redeemer. Not only that, but that we would live in right relationships horizontally with those around us. That, w- that we would be brought into fellowship with one another through Christ. That every relationship that is broken would be healed. That all things would be set right. Daryl Johnson writes this. We cannot read the biblical story without catching God's own hunger and thirst for this complete right relatedness. This means that we cannot read the whole story without encountering grief. God's grief. For the created order is now marked by so much unrighteousness, alienation, estrangement, manipulation, fear, hatred, violence, and death. This is all because we have turned our backs on the relationship with the creator, which causes all the other relationships to unravel. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for right right relatedness, for righteousness. The language that Jesus uses here is intense. Far more intense than my desire to have chalet sauce. This is intense. This is no mild hunger or thirst. 
There is here in this language a sense of desperation. Jesus is pronouncing blessing upon those who, as Dale Bruner puts it, do not believe they can live unless they find righteousness. Donald McCullough writes, Blessed is the person who longs for righteousness as though his or her life depended upon it. There is a desperate longing for things to be set right in our own lives, in the lives of those around us, and in all of creation. Brings us to the fourth thing I wanted to do. That is to reflect on what Jesus promises. The hunger and the thirst of the gospelized will one day be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. They will be satisfied. One day, God's kingdom will break through all the way. It is already invading this world. It is already breaking in. But one day, it will be here in fullness. We will know it in all its fullness. And we will know perfect harmony, unblemished fellowship. We will be, see the right relatedness of all things, shalom, the, the shalom that God desires, and we will be filled. We will be satisfied. Nonetheless, this promise is not only... It's not only about the future, even now, even today, we can experience, we can taste the, the, the righteousness, the right relatedness for which we long, because Jesus has come, and he is present already. And as Daryl Johnson puts it, uh, puts it this way, as, as he is the source and the embodiment of all right relatedness. So as Jesus works in our lives already, we can grow. We can experience right relatedness with God. We can experience right relatedness with one another and with his created realm. We can taste and see because he is already present with us. And one of the great contexts for this is the context of the church Right here at sunrise, we are called to live as a community of the redeemed, those in whom the gospel has broken in, those who are pursuing obedience, not in order to receive blessing, but because we are blessed, because we have been declared righteous, and so we long to live righteously in a right way with God and in a right way with one another. And so as we as a community learn to love one another and to care for one another and to sacrifice our own interests for the sake of others and to forgive one another, we are modeling that right relatedness that our world was created for. We are living as a colony of the future in the present. And we testify before a watching world what life can be like when righteousness is present. It's not... Our righteousness, it's the Spirit of God working through the gospel in our lives individually and corporately. We can experience shalom, harmony, fellowship, right relatedness. But here, we also encounter a great paradox. When we hunger and thirst for righteousness, God fills us. We encounter Christ and Christ's work in us. We, we get a taste of what is to come, what we will one day know in all fullness but then we begin to hunger and thirst again. John Stott writes this, In this life our hunger will never be fully satisfied, nor will our thirst be fully quenched. True, we receive the satisfaction, the fullness which the beatitude promises, but our hunger is satisfied only to break out again. He adds, hunger and thirst are perpetual characteristics of disciples of Jesus. Because until Christ returns, 
we will not be fully satisfied, perpetually satisfied. I've quoted to you before this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, if, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. We are satisfied and then that hunger and thirsting breaks out again. Too often we, too often the people around us pursue satisfaction in things that will never fill us. The things of the world, even good things, will not satisfy. We were created for a world that was set right, where all things were rightly related. And above all that we are rightly related to God, it is only Him that will satisfy. You see, the longing for righteousness that, that grows in our hearts, this desperate longing, is ultimately nothing short of longing for the righteous one. Himself, Jesus, who said that He is the bread of life. He is living water. The one who made us. The one for whom we were made. The one who gave Himself for us on the cross so that we might be restored. That we might be rightly related to Him. One day, one day He will come and on that day, He will set all things right. And we will be satisfied. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray, Jesus, that you would grow within each one of us this desperate craving, this desperate longing. Oh Lord, that we would not look to lesser things for satisfaction. That we would not look to lesser things for fulfillment that will only be found in you, in in your redemptive work, in your work of restoration in our own lives and in the world around us. And we pray, Jesus, that, that we would experience satisfaction in you and as we continue to hunger and thirst, Lord, that our eyes would be drawn to you, the one who alone can satisfy. Make us those who hunger and thirst for your righteousness, for your work of right. Uh, Righteousizing us, making us in right relationships. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.